Welcome to the Guardians of Fahal campaign diaries. My name is Lizzie, and today we're going to be talking about episode eight, part two, Spiders, Swimming, and Secrets. Oh my. I still sound like George Takei when I say it. That's not a bad thing, though. He's cool. Um, okay, so for, by the way, sorry if there's a little bit of sound in the background. I really need coffee, so I'm brewing it as I record these and try to power through them. But yeah, last episode, uh, we were in the middle of almost a party member trying to kill another party member because they thought they were some sort of massive fish swimming um, in the river. And basically what it is, is um, Hans and Franz lays his eyes upon um, what looks like a seal, but with Una's exact hair color. Uh, and then has a bit of an external crisis of what the fuck? I, wait, is this what she meant by the secret of blessed by the sea? Wait. What? I don't, why would a seal be up here this far? I don't understand. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. But yeah, um, Una obviously has a seal form, but she is specifically a selkie. Uh, this secret is out now. It explains why Una has um, such an, a good ability to swim, um, why she can hold her breath so long, why she's so good at like uh, anything water related and why she loves it so much. It also explains some of her unique features of like why she's so young looking. Um, and also her eyes are slightly bigger than a uh, normal humans where they're very like uh, <laughs> seal like uh, you could say. She's basically a little bit of an anime character though with the big cute eyes. Um, but yeah, so let's kind of go into like the behind the scenes. Um, conversation of what selkies are and why I decided to add them in this game. So I'm very much somebody who likes mythology and I was heavily inspired by uh, Scottish and Irish mythology, Celtic mythology in general, Welsh mythology. Um, and like selkies are basically Scottish mermaids. So instead of being like fish women, they're basically women that have like, um, like a seal skin that they put on and take off and, um, they can transform. And in certain versions of the stories, they are limited to like, if, uh, like, they do this during certain times of years, um, specifically the islands that I kind of based um, Una's islands off of um, are known as like the, um, I based them off of like the Faroe Islands and the Faroe Islands are kind of an interesting place. They're like a Northern Atlantic arc, um, arc what's the word? archipelago that is like basically 200 miles uh north of scotland and kind of um they were called like they have a lot of ties to scottish history and then also um vikings i believe settled there settled there in scandinavian tra tra travelers i actually think that it technically belongs to denmark right now so like there's a lot of nordic influence too but anyway i based her islands off of these and um Selkies are normally only viewed as women in a lot of the classical stories I found of them. And they're kind of sad stories of heartbreak or like, um, kind of like, an like they fit into the animal bride trope, I guess is how I'd fit it. Where like somebody like captures like, uh, somebody and kind of forces them into being like their, their spouse, but then it leads to them like 
finding their other form again someday. Like a lot of Selkie legends are like, you know, a fisherman falls in love with this woman he sees like swimming naked or whatever. And he finds her Selkie skin and then he hides it. And then she like marries him and then has kids. And then one day, like the kids will like find the seal skin or whatever. And then like, they will go back to the ocean because fuck that guy. Like, which I don't think that normally, normally a lot of the way these myths are portrayed, it's almost like, oh, the poor guy is heartbroken. That's why you should never steal a bride from the sea. And it's like, you shouldn't be a dick and like steal some poor person's like other form and be like, well, I guess you got to marry me now. I'm blackmailing you into it. Um, (laughs) that's my rant about mythology. Um, but yeah, so for for Una, like Megan and I talked a lot about this where we kind of talked about being more of a unique grace. And I really wanted, like, she wanted to do something ocean-based. And I was like, I'm like, do you want to be a Selkie? And she knows what Selkies were. So she's like, wait, you mean like this? And I'm like, yeah. So like we made a whole big thing. And like Una, Megan sent me so much culture stuff about their islands and like developed of Selkies. And she was heavily inspired by like Nordic mythology um, and like Nordic things too. And so we just kind of like collaborated together. So yeah, they, she's from an island of Selkies. Um, not everyone on the island is Selkies because not everyone gets the gift of the sea, but you know, it's kind of like a thing. They, they basically have packs with the different, uh, fishing villages and they are kind of left in relative secrecy and they have some trade where they can get stuff that, that doesn't grow on the islands from like ships. But otherwise, like, they are, like, the defenders of the sea. Like, you know, they fight sea monsters. They're basically, like, badass ocean rangers that fight off these monsters and, like, all sorts of hideous things from the depths and protect ships and everything like that. So, um... Yeah, like, they're really cool. Um, and so, basically... Her seal form has some different stats. Like her mental stats all still stay the same, kind of like a druid. Um, And she can use her bonus action to shift into the form and shift out of it. Um, But she doesn't get the extra hit points like a druid would. Um, And there's a couple bonuses. Like obviously when she's in selkie form, she can't like use her bow. But selkies get... I I think I, I found a homebrew... It was a homebrew race on the... D&D Beyond pages submitted by somebody. Um, and if I find the link to it, I should share. I don't know if the article's still up. Um, but yeah, so like there's some couple things like she got basically a con and charisma bonus because Selkies are considered very cute and playful and likable. So that's a little bump to charisma and then con because they're used to like being hardy. Um, it's kind of also why like Una has described as being more like short and she's muscly, but she's also kind of like thicker and curvier, which I think makes sense for like people who are sulkies. Like they would be a little bit more muscly and like heavier because like you gotta have those layers of fat to keep warm under the sea. So, you know, um, and that's why her hair is so long and like people who are sulkies in their tribe all have long hair. Like it's maybe the like it's it's more of a cultural thing to keep it long like you could have it cut as a bob and it wouldn't necessarily inhibit your abilities to turn but if you got your head shaved that would be like a big big like that's that basically strips you of your ability until your hair grows back and it's kind of like a like a very dishonorable thing so um 
But anyway, like we we went back and forth for a long time about like, is it a second skin? Is it something she can take off or is it the hair? And we eventually settled on the hair because we thought it was like more of an easy thing to just have incorporated versus like a physical skin that has to come on and off and then she could potentially lose. We're like, let's just do the hair thing. It's going to be easier. So um, yeah, that's, that's her secret. Um, one of them, there's more tied into it because her village is very secretive. Like Nora and Rowan's is like Selkies could be hunted or like, a kind of captured. Like, so like they like to kind of keep things on the down low, even though they do protect humans. So that's why she doesn't really want to tell the others, but it was a very cute conversation where she's explaining it. And you can tell that like Megan played it off. Like Una's really embarrassed because she's like, I can't believe I I accidentally let this this slip. I feel so dumb. Um, and it was, it was a cute moment and conversation of like trying to kind of earn some trust. And it was interesting to see Andrew as Hans and Franz basically be like, no, I'll keep it a secret. I won't tell my brother. And like, you know, I, I will, I, I won't, I won't rat you out and stuff. Like, I get it. And it was kind of a cool moment just because like normally you think of the twins as inseparable and then you got one of them's kind of keeping secrets from the other twin. And I kind of was like, ooh, this is interesting. Um, but yeah, that was their little walk and poor, poor Una, just so embarrassed about it. It was a good, it was a good moment. And I was really happy. Like in ways, I'm really happy it came out when it did because uh, this, I don't know if this is spoilery things, but like, um, Okay, so if you're not caught up on Guardians of Fahal, stop listening. This is going to be spoilers, okay? All right, I will put descriptions in where you can start listening again in this episode, okay? that after this current level I wanted to start bringing in more things with like the Selkies and with Una's mission um and as as that plot kind of starts happening in those campaign diaries I'll explain my rationale for why I did it the way I did So now is when you can return. Welcome back, people who are not caught up. Glad I didn't spoil it for you. Unless you listened, then shame on you. Spoilers. Anyway, um, so I was kind of happy that it came out where all the players knew um, above table why, like, that she was a Selkie. And it was out in the open. And it was known. But, like, not everyone, their characters know. But at least one of them does. And I think that is good because it's starting to kind of, like, merge these bonds of like friendship between the group and Una. Cause she was the one who came in solo. Like Megan didn't come in with anyone else as a family member or anything. So she kind of, we had to figure out how to like get her to be part of the group. And now that the secret is above table known and known to Anders, Hans and Franz, I think it helps. Um, yeah. So then again, we have Nora and Hans and Franz on a watch and, um, this is a fun little scene of, you know, Hans and Franz trying to basically talk Nora out of talking to Tamlin again. Like, basically, like, you know, maybe people are entrapped or imprisoned for a reason. And um, I think it, it's a good point. Like, you know, they have no reason to necessarily trust Tamlin. He could be a shady motherfucker. And I mean, he kind of is. But like, 
uh, it, it makes sense that he's a little bit worried about maybe you shouldn't be talking to this guy who's like imprisoned and like has some sort of weird haunted grove. Like, I don't think he understands the criminal justice system or lack thereof in the fate for the Fey realm uh, and Fey in general. But, you know, it is what it is. I also really like these moments um, when characters kind of reveal insecurities about themselves. Um, and Josh really went into a very meaningful story of like talking about as a forge cleric that he wasn't like the best and how his whole thing is he just wants to be like acknowledged. He kind of talks about like the girl that he was trying to impress and how she just didn't notice him. And then finally he got her to notice him and like receive validation because he just wasn't naturally talented. And I think that like, we have this tendency as a culture when somebody is, you know, not inherently great at something, like, we're just assuming that they're never going to necessarily be the best. Like, there is raw talent and then there's hard work. But, like, you know, a lot of people who are just not, are like, they have to struggle a long time to get good at their craft. And it's, it's through a lot of, like, hard work that they actually achieve, like, greatness. And, um, you know, and that's kind of the thing is when you're not naturally gifted at something, you have to work extra, extra hard at it. And even when you are talented, you have to still work hard. But it's, it is, it is very hard. And that can create a lot of sense of insecurity. And then also, like, the fact that he, he kind of reveals the sadness of being, you know, he wasn't technically exiled, but, like, his parents were like, you need to go with your brother and make sure that, like, he... And bear witness to his, like, you know, forgiveness. Or, like, you know, bear witness to his redemption. Uh, and I... I mean, it's it's kind of, like, a unfortunate thing is he was exiled by proxy. Like, you know, he could have stayed with the other students and become, like, trained with them and everything. And I think when you're a creative person, having that network of other talent around you to kind of, like, challenge you but also inspire you and then having that completely ripped away from you and you have to go find your own place in the world and your own inspiration, like, that sucks. Um, and also, like, I think that um, for anybody who has been, like, disowned by their family this this rings you know really really true um in many ways where it's not just like oh I can't talk to them anymore like it's not the initial connection sometimes that means like cutting out entire portions like of your life um one thing that I have seen a lot with my um uh whoosh Okay, without without getting too deep or off topic, but, like, as somebody who kind of grew up very fundamentally, like, very strict Christi version of Christianity, um, and, and my family left it, but there was a lot of other people who I remember from, like, childhood that I ended up connecting to later in life who their families were still very deeply entrenched in that very cultish, like, religion of, you know... You either live exactly this way or you're, like, you know, out of the family. And the problem is, is, like, the way that's set up is it's not just not talking to your parents anymore. It means maybe not talking to your other siblings that still live at home. Uh, and it, maybe it also means you're losing connections with all of your other friends who are still part of that group or part of that organization or your whole social life is wrapped up in that. And that can be brutal. 
Um, and I, I think it's also like, it feeds a little bit into that insecurity and that doubt he expressed of like, you know, am I, am I good enough? Like, why hasn't my goddess like physically appeared before me? Um, which to me, I was really confused by that when Josh said it, because I'm like, Angeed has showed up to you, but he was right. It's always been in dreams or like in the part of the flames, which I didn't really like intend to not be seen as her showing up. I thought that was her showing up. But for him, he's like, she's not physically there versus like, you know, when my brother talks about meeting more, like he literally saw like her there, like the ground was like, you know, growing around her and he could have physically touched her if he wanted. And I can't, my goddess isn't like that. Like, is, am I doing something wrong? Um, and, and it's kind of interesting because, like, I it, it gave me some great stuff to work with for later. Um, and it also really helped me cement the ideas of, like, you know, the goddesses kind of being a little bit different. Like, you know, and how they physically can appear based on what they represent. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of an... It's, it's something that I think most people creative suffer from is, like, you know, they want to be acknowledged. Like, they want to know that they are good enough. That their art as it is is good enough. And that fear of, like, did I fall behind? Am I not on the same bar as my peers, like, you know, something wrong with me. Um, it was also like a very interesting conversation too, because he was talking about that dream from like, oh gosh, like episode six, when he had just created the weapon and, and got his channel divinity where he saw like a, a memory of like the goddesses and Forian basically laughing because she knew that, you know, humans were going to create weapons and kill each other with them. And something that her sister had intended to be used one way was going to kind of get twisted and used in a way that suited her more. Um, and how it was a very interesting thing for him to realize because I originally felt like Josh was more saw Angeed as like a war goddess. Like he wanted to, he wanted to honor her through forms of war, like creating weapons and like, you know, battle and writing battle poetry. And it's not that Angie doesn't appreciate those things, but like, that's not who she, it's not really as much of her, her thing. Like she doesn't really revel in war. Like she likes the hymns and the stories and the poems that come out of it, but she doesn't like, you know, that's not her, it's not really her domain sphere. So He's conflicted because he feels like he needs to honor all of the goddesses somehow. But is that hurting Angeed? And it's just, you know, it's it's a lot of drama. And there's a lot of internal conflict with this character that I think is rooted in, like, am I, am I enough? Like, am I doing what's right? Like, and unintentionally when they built these, I think Josh kind of made his character have to be second fiddle to his brother. Which it was, was a choice of his, but I'm kind of hoping and excited to see, like his character learn to become his own person where he's not just there to support his brother. He's going to fully be like, you know, I am, we are Hans and Franz, but I'm also me. And this is, this is who I am. And I am enough. Like, you know, I'm not just there to witness my brother's redemption. I am like a champion of Angeed, but, or all the Bendaya or whatever. Like, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm excited to see what happens if, if he reaches that point. I'm hoping so. I have stuff planned. I have some good stuff planned. Um, but yeah, um, I guess finishing, finishing off the episode, uh, there's, uh, the bears, they, <laughs> oh my God. So there's, there's not many moments I wish that we filmed this. Cause like, I hate being on camera. 
But I do wish we would have filmed it so you guys could have seen everyone's reactions when I was originally like, oh yeah, there's bear tracks. And everyone's like, nope, go away. Megan and Sam were like, oh, bears, baby bears. And I described how they were brutally ripped apart and their corpses were there, including the babies. And just the look of horror on Megan's face was priceless. Like, I love it. Like, I don't necessarily want to make my players uncomfortable all the time, but sometimes... So it's just kind of like a nice little hint, too, of like what could have done this. The fact that like the bears seemed like they were kind of like frozen in place um, and everything. And they just kind of like, you know, were taken out. And it's just kind of horrifying and a little bit creepy and foreshadowing for what this creature is with 19 inch feathers, basically. I didn't know this at the time, but I looked up what the wingspan would have to be. And so there's got to be some like 19 inch feathers amongst them. But, um, you know, like it's, it's good. It's good. Good drama. Good creepy drama. Like, what could this be? Um, probably something more animal than they're expecting, but also a little bit uh, monstrous as well. Um, kind of a classic monster. If you haven't figured it out yet, uh, if you haven't listened yet and don't know, um, put your guesses down below what, what it is. Um, but yeah, and then they kind of work their way towards a little pool with a little mini waterfall. Um, and there's two individuals around the pool picking stones with black feathers. Is it a bird person? Is it people with bird feathers on? And then all of a sudden, there's some dog people that appear. Uh-oh. What's the, what are they going to do? There's going to be a little bit of conflict next session. <laughs> Who will they help? I think that also, like, even with how I had them encounter these people, I think it was pretty obvious that they were going to, which side they were going to necessarily help. Like, they had two weeks to think about it, or maybe it was a month to think about it. Probably a month. Like, this was right around holiday time, so I think we missed a couple sessions because of Thanksgiving and then Christmas. But, um, yeah, like, perfect cliffhanger. Are they going to help the bird people or the dog people? Stay tuned for next time. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it on any of our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, at The Westerverse. Uh, you can also follow us there if you want new updates whenever we release new episodes of our campaign diaries, Guardians of Pahal, um, or Talk Dungeon to me um or anything else special we have going on um if you really like us and you have a little bit of extra change and want to throw us some money consider supporting us on patreon um we would really appreciate it and then we can like uh do more stuff and like hopefully like actually give some really cool kick-ass rewards we've got some stuff planned so hopefully you know Hopefully we can do that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, share, like, tell us uh, tell us your thoughts in the comments below this episode. Um, and next time, yeah, we're going to be talking about the bird people versus the dog people. And who are they going to help? And what are the consequences going to be? Ooh, exciting. See y'all later, adventures. <laughs>